Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Welcome to another episode of the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. I'm really delighted to be here today with some great friends of mine, Josh and Autumn Miller. And uh, I've been asking them for several months to do this podcast, and we just haven't been able to get our schedules to coordinate. And so here we are today. We've got our schedules coordinated. They're going to be presenting at our church tonight, and they were gracious enough to come in and sit down for an interview today. So Josh and Autumn, thanks for being with me today. You're welcome. Thanks. We're happy to be here. Great. Um, Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about who you are um, and what you're trying to do? So right now, Autumn and I, in preparation, are going overseas to the country of Papua New Guinea for the purpose of learning the national um, language and culture, but beyond that, moving into a tribe that hasn't received the gospel as of yet. They don't have any missionaries in that tribe yet. They don't have any access uh, to the gospel in their language, and really going in to learn the language, the culture, and then give them the opportunity to... Uh, hear the gospel message and believe. And then even beyond that, we'll be there for a number of years working on Bible translation and working on discipling the believers that are there with the goal of eventually having a mature church that they can go out and basically finish the job. We're not planning on reaching every single lost person in this people group. They are going to need to take up the task of the Great Commission and continue that work. So that's kind of the big picture of what we're going to do. All right. So how long does the big picture take to accomplish? Just give us a rough estimate of like, you know, Lord willing, how long does the big picture take to accomplish? Rough estimate, initial time of us in the tribe, we're looking at 12 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty common beyond that point to still have things like the Bible translation that we'll be working on. But again, as we can work on that outside of the tribe, so okay. that won't necessarily be part of our time in there but that will continue on. So this is a major, major life change to go from living in the United States to moving to Papua New Guinea. And then you're going to, within how many months of getting there, move into a tribe? Six months, nine months-ish? Yeah, six to 12 months, depending on the timeline. So a year from now, like next December, we'll be like satellite interviewing you from the tribe, right? (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Okay, all right. So to tell me, how how does a person get to this point where they're like, you know what, uh, in order for me to follow the Great Commission, I need to go to this people group that's on the other side of the world, totally unlike me, and I need to translate the Bible and share the gospel with them. How do you get to that point? Josh, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> that is a loaded question, and there are more aspects to it that I'm sure we could even cover right now. But just looking back over the journey of the Lord's taken me specifically on, it started at virtually coming to Christ, obviously, at eight years old and beginning from there. In many ways, um, the growth process that God took me through was all leading up to this in how he used it. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of areas where I, I struggled through in, in growing spiritually, in, in trusting the Lord, and in many ways that back to just feeling very unable, incapable, unqualified, uh, whether it was struggling academically or fears that I had. 
And God just steadily in, in the growth process uh, stretched me in different ways and just made it abundantly clear that, yeah, you are uncapable, unable, and unqualified, but I'm not. And I can accomplish things through you and using you. And so through thousands of little events growing steadily over time, I got to the point where I was 21 years of age and realized that God had slowly changed my heart to desire full-time ministry. And when I realized that, I scared myself. It came out of my mouth and somebody asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, full-time ministry. And it was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just said that. And as I thought about it, I realized, yes, my heart desire had changed to that. But I didn't know what that was going to look like exactly. And so I started moving forward because I, I firmly convinced that whether I knew yet where I was supposed to go or not, I need to be faithful right where I was. And so I was trying to uh, be faithful in serving the Lord right where I was at, thinking through, okay, how am I supposed to be involved in evangelism now? How and where were you serving at that time? Okay, so that would be in my local church in Orville, Ohio, being involved in ministries there and, and taking opportunities in discipleship and really having a mentality of keep the vehicle moving. I had heard the analogy, it's a lot easier to steer a car when it's moving. And that really hit home for me because I grew up with an old Ford tractor that didn't have power steering. And if you've ever driven something without power steering, when you just start going and you're moving slow, you have to pretty much use all your strength to turn that steering wheel. But once you get moving, it's easier to go. You can turn it very easily. And so I wanted to be faithful in keeping the car moving and investigate areas that God might want me to be involved in, involved in pastoral ministry there at the church, involved in different outreaches, different uh, missions opportunities. And just saying, Lord, you open the doors when you want me to walk through them, and you close the ones you don't want me to, to walk through. So you were 21 mm -hmm. when you felt called to go to full-time ministry. How old were you when you realized that full-time ministry meant full-time missions work in a foreign country? I was about 23 years old, a couple okay, years so later. a couple years had passed. Yeah. So at that point, um, God used that... Tell people how old you are now for time of reference. <laughs> time of reference. I'm 29 heading on 30 right now. Okay. So God used that process of feeling unable, uncapable, and qualified to really solidify in many ways the process of realizing, no, this is the direction he wants me to go. All the different avenues I looked in previously, he just kept closing the doors. But then when I felt as though this was one thing that I could not do, it would be travel church planning because I was unable, uncapable, and qualified, that the Lord really impressed it on my heart that once again, you may feel like you can't do it, but I can. And so I committed to heading that direction until he said, otherwise, as long as he kept opening up doors, I'd walk through them and he keeps opening up every last one of them. And so here I am, like I said 29 years <laughs> of age now and just about getting ready from the time I first started taking uh, seminary level classes with the conservative grace brethren churches, uh, till the present it's been about 10 years of preparation wow what do you would you be willing to share let me ask this would you be willing to share some of those things that made you feel as if you were unqualified and uncapable yeah no problem uh one of the things would have been something that most people can identify with simply getting in front of people a lot of times so fear of public speaking fear of public speaking yeah a lot of times in ministry circles you are doing public speaking and whether it's on a large scale or a small scale, one or two people and them listening to you, that's a lot of what it ends up being. And so the prospect of 
having to do a lot of that was a very difficult one. And I had to trust the Lord in the little areas when he would prompt me to participate in some way in a church, uh, in a public speaking capacity to be able to say, okay, Lord, I don't feel like I can do this, but I know you can. That would be one that jumps out. And the second one would be that I'm dyslexic and academic study has always been difficult for me. And because of that, to think of having to go through all the study and preparation, and I just mentioned 10 years so far of it, <laughs> right, 10 years. <laughs> uh, that kind of thought was horrifying to say the least. But that was an area where the Lord definitely stretched me and said, okay, you may feel unable, but I will help you through it. And and that is a theme that you continually see throughout God's word. And, and he has shown himself abundantly faithful in that area every step of the way on this journey. And even though the, the steps ahead seem insurmountable, there was a time in my life where those hundreds of steps the Lord asked me to take felt insurmountable as well. And he's always shown himself faithful. And so I look at the ones ahead and say, yeah, looks pretty impossible, but just means I'm going to get to see God do it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing when you can like, you look at your life and you're like, well, I was expecting God to let me down here and here and here and it never happened. <laughs> okay, I guess I better do what is in front of me right now. I yeah. mean, uh, when you just kind of replay your own history. And I, I think God, um, he did that for the nation of Israel, right? Over and over and over again. He replayed their history from the Exodus to entering the promised land and the conquering of the promised land. He just reminded them of their history like, all along this journey, I was here for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's wonderful to be able to look back on your life. And now here you are, um, nearly 30 years old, being able to say, look, I have a 10-year track record of God's faithfulness to me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what the next 10 years is going to entail, but God will be faithful to me over the next 10 years because he was mm-hmm. the last 10 years. And that's such a comforting thought as you get ready to go and do what you're going to do. It definitely is. Definitely. So, Autumn, tell us a little bit about how you came into having a desire to want to do foreign missions. Yeah. So, I, well, I was exposed to missions at a really young age. My dad uh, was a pastor. And so I was always the little kid who would run up to visiting missionaries at our church and ask them questions and be very interested in their display. And when I think back, really even at the age of five or six, which would have been about a year or two after I came to know the Lord as my Savior, I had a real interest in missions. If you'd asked me what I wanted to be, I would have said a missionary. Obviously, my understanding of what that meant was still growing and developing. And at that stage, I had never been introduced to the concept of tribal missions or missions to an unreached people group. But I had this burden to be a part of going and telling people who hadn't heard about Christ. And that remained pretty constant throughout most of my, you know, adolescent, middle school, even early high school years. And then I kind of hit a stage towards the end of high school, started looking at, okay, what comes next? And there were so many aspects of missions work that felt impossible to plan. And I think was probably made even more complicated, at least in my mind, um, being a woman, because I had never even been exposed to a single lady missionary. So I kind of had all these questions of, where do I go and who do I go with? And do I just wait and God brings me a missionary husband or how does this work? And that fear of what do I do next and how do I plan this really started to pull me back from the idea of doing missions. So I came up with my own plan of what I was going to do with my life. And 
I wanted to work internationally and work for a nonprofit. So it'd be kind of like missions work, but not some of the harder parts of having to raise support and all of that. All the fun and travel. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. That was what I was looking for. I'll get to travel. No, I I cared about I cared about the work, but it was just a it felt easier to plan. As long as I've known you, you've always invested in nonprofit organizations. Even when you were being paid to be a director of a nonprofit, you've always invested in them. Yep. So yeah, no, that's a that's a definitely a genuine desire on your part. Yeah. So but but it's interesting because so I went here, I went off to college and that was my plan and then god used he ended up bringing me home before i'd finished college i was able to finish um with independent studies from home but because of my mom you you kind of know the story there but my mom was diagnosed with a terminal illness and ended up moving home and taking care of her and it was a whole six-year process i won't go into all the details of caring for her and then my dad as well but that's really the time that god used to bring me back to a point of surrender because he put me in this position of not being able to plan anything long-term. And so this need that I had to have this 10-year plan that I could work out was basically totally erased. And um, during that time, I just started to realize how much of a burden on my heart uh, missions, foreign missions still was. And so started to pray, okay, God, there's all these things that you have to take care of between my dad's health. This was after my mom had passed away, but my dad's health was poor in the care of my younger siblings. And at that point, I was working for a nonprofit, and so uh, burdened to not leave them kind of in the lurch. And just one by one, God started to check off all of these things. And uh, during that time also was when I was first exposed to uh, missions to unreached people groups. And I was blown away. I had no idea that there were about 2,000 people groups, language groups still in the world, who had never had the gospel. And that just became a huge burden on my heart um, not certainly not saying anything against missionaries who have gone to, you know, places to Mexico or, Party you know, places, places that have been places. reached, but just this burden on my heart to see these people groups who haven't yet had access um, reached with the gospel and wanting to be part of that. So, yeah, it's kind of been a journey from there of when you asked, you asked earlier a question about the process. And I think there's a lot of things that God uses along the way that you don't see at the time, how he's going to use them. But then there are, I think there are some purposeful choices as well in the process of moving towards missions, especially as a young person. Um, when you start looking at things like choosing a spouse, um, deciding on big purchases, you know, debt is a big thing that can keep yeah, people out sure. of missions. And the ministry. So, yeah, exactly. So, so yes, there's all kinds of little things that God used to move me in this direction when I didn't know it. But there were also choices along the way of as as he had placed this burden on my heart of saying, I'm going to strategically choose this, this maybe in my mind from a human perspective, less than ideal thing because of what the end goal is. And so I think that's an important thing for for people to keep in mind who have a burden for missions, because a couple of choices made um, on a spur of the moment could really put someone in a position of not being able to move um, at least quickly in a direction that God may want them to. So that's right. important to keep in mind. That's some good advice for sure to be mindful. Really it's to have an attitude of stewardship over every area of life. I mean, we think of oftentimes financial stewardship, but stewardship over relationships, stewardship over jobs that you may or may not decide to take can, can have an impact on how you are able to serve the Lord and what freedoms you have later in life. 
Definitely. So that's a good example. Sometimes even just becoming aware of the more things you have to say goodbye to or let go of, the harder it is. So it might sound funny, but both Josh and I had made different decisions in the area of technology where we didn't get certain things that we could have gotten and they're not wrong to have. But when you're moving, when you know you're going to be moving to a remote location, it's hard if you have become used to a lot of um, things that would be normal here Alexa, in our culture. Warm up my coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Seat warmers or, you know, those kind of things in your car where it becomes harder to live without those. So I just don't like Alexa because she spies on you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just really paranoid. You can ask Meredith. She'll tell you. <laughs> well, I, I've never uh, had to use Alexa extensively, so I don't have a whole lot of input in that I, area. I don't, but... I don't either. But, but, those are, but those are exactly the types of choices that people do have to think through and make because mm -hmm. you get used to the convenience of something. Yep. And you don't realize how to do life without that device or without that whatever it might be, you know, right. It, it could be something like a, a truck, like, oh, you know, I've always had a four wheel drive truck because I just want a truck. Mm -hmm. Well, how am I going to do life without a truck? You have to be much more creative and much more forward thinking in how you plan mm -hmm. so that you can do life without something like that. Right. And it's not wrong to have them. Yeah, absolutely not. But uh, if you have an end goal in mind, you have to ask the, your, yourself the question like, all right, what will I do when I don't have this? Mm -hmm. Can I figure it out? And is it moving you towards that goal, that yes. place that God's leading you? Because there are things that are good, convenient things that can help you get there. But there are also things that can be obstacles. Sure. So um, you guys are uh, happily married now for how many years? Almost two. Heading on two. Heading on two. Okay. But uh, you, didn't, you didn't start out your missionary careers being married. A lot of couples start out their missionary careers like, together, right? Going to school together, feeling the pull of the Lord together. Yeah. Um, but you guys did it separately. So can you guys, can you just share a little bit of your story and how the Lord took two people on two separate journeys and brought them together? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just the conversation a moment ago about stewardship and, and making choices that are all focusing on where you're heading, or especially if God, you feel like God is calling you to something specifically. That definitely plays into this because for both of us, relationships, um, <laughs> should I say, the, the option of specific relationships became very narrowed because we <laughs> were not uh, interested in entering any relationship that wasn't also willing to go to mission field. Mm -hmm. So for, for both of us, we would have been in different situations where, it's, where we weren't willing uh, to start dating somebody because of that. And then heading to the mission field in both of our instances, we both pretty much came to the point where we were saying, we're heading single. We, we feel like God is, is uh, calling us this direction, and it doesn't look like there's somebody that uh, we can go with as a marriage partner. And so if that's what God calls us to do, we're willing to do it. And, and yet, when we got... And you were making these decisions just to help clarify in the minds yeah. of the listeners, you're making these decisions independently of one another. That is correct. Yes. 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 You weren't, you weren't, you weren't like colluding together to go <laughs> singly to all of a sudden get together later. No, you were making these decisions independently. Yes. I'm just going to fill in that background yes. detail because like everything you're talking about right now, I remember talking with Autumn mm -hmm. about because Autumn and I have been friends for a long time yeah. uh, and, and close friends. You've been really close friends with our whole family. 
And I remember having these conversations with you before you went to the missionary training center in Canada. Yeah. That for me was really the point where, at least in my mind, it seemed like once I leave for missionary training, in my mind, that was really closing the door for the option of marriage. Not that I didn't have that desire, but it kind of seemed like, okay, this is setting a timeline in place that I, it doesn't seem reasonable that I'm going to be several years ahead in training, even if there was, you know, a guy that came along. And so it just, I just kind of assumed, okay, if I'm heading into training single, then that means that marriage is not something that God has for me. So, um, yeah, it was almost a foregone conclusion in my mind. At I that know, point. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> so we both ended up in, in missionary training yep. school in the same class together. At the same year. Like you started the same year. Yeah, yes. started the same From year. From two different churches. That is correct. Yep. Yep. And had absolutely no interest in each other. I can say that 100%. There was none Your sister had my an interest part. in her. My sister. <laughs> yeah, there are people who have been matchmaking, but we after, were not. <laughs> after my sister met Autumn for the first time, came home and declared to me that she met my future wife today. <laughs> and She'll forever be able to hold that over Between <laughs> that and other people pressuring me towards Autumn, I actually moved the opposite direction. Um, Which is kind of typical. I mean, that's really mm -hmm. like, People resist being set up. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just, in general, in Western societies, people resist being set up. Like, this isn't a fairy tale. This yeah. isn't how that works, you know? So there was the, yeah. there's a natural tendency yeah, of resisting. Right. But you can you can tack on that kind of pressure under the situation of, I never met Autumn at that point. Right, exactly. So it's like, of course I'm not going to be, like, jumping up and down at this. I don't even know who we're talking about. But then beyond that, there were times when I didn't even want to get caught dead next to her because there were people who would make comments about it out loud or wrongful I, assumptions in mm -hmm. wrongful assumptions exactly and it would be very awkward and i didn't want to put either of us in that situation and so i would avoid those scenarios so all these things contributing to heading the opposite direction and so going to canada it was uh it was very clear in my mind i was not interested i was going the opposite direction if anything she was planning on working with one particular team going mission field I believe I was heading a different direction, different part of the world. And so there was no possibility, really, in my mind, in going into it. Okay, that's from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, everything that he said was true. Actually, even when we got to Canada, we had talked about, just kind of cleared the air a little bit on some of the awkwardness. Because um, different people have been talking to us about the other one when they found out we were going to the same missionary training center. But it's really cool now, looking back at how God used just all these different things to bring us to the training at the same time, a whole bunch of things in either of our lives could have pushed us back another year and we wouldn't have been in the same class. But again, God had a hand in that. And so we were able to really kind of start out there just getting to know each other as friends and agreeing that, you know, God had us on a timeline for we were heading in different directions. And so there wasn't any awkwardness or pressure as our friendship developed. And then about nine months in, eight or nine months in, um, I had started to wonder, you know, are some things changing in our relationship? I don't know. And I didn't know for sure at that point, but Josh had started to praying just about the possibility if God was leading us together and leading us into a relationship. And again, I won't go into all the details, but he's been really good and gracious in, in making it clear to us and leading us together into a relationship and then into marriage. And, and it's really neat to see how he has allowed us to 
our skills to complement each other. I remember that was one of the things when I had been desiring marriage before, but assuming that I was going to stay single, I'd heard someone say that um, they didn't want to get married unless they knew that they could serve God better with this other person than without. And that's been really neat to see, just as God has brought Josh and I together to see how serving him together has really strengthened both of our areas of, of skills and, and yeah, just seeing that complementary. It is a wonderful thing, the complementary nature of marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, when God said to Adam, I made a helpmate suitable for you. And then, and then like, you read that when you're unmarried and you're single and you don't really understand <laughs> the extent of what suitable means. <laughs> And then you're you're married, and as as you guys grow in your marriage, as you continue to you know have many more years, Lord willing, you'll be like, wow, it's even more suitable than I thought. It's even more suitable than I thought. It's even more suitable than I thought. Yep. Then you'll have situations like last night. Um, I did something, and my wife was like, well, we've well, been married for twelve years, and I didn't even know that it annoyed you. And I'm like, because <laughs> I never said anything about it, <laughs> you know. And you're always learning new things. Uh, always learning new things about one another mm-hmm. um and uh, that's a that's a beautiful thing so so you got together uh the lord brought you together at the missionary training center in canada you graduated in what year december 2017 okay so about two years ago you mm-hmm. graduated yeah, exactly. and what have you been doing since then what have you been doing from over the last two years so well we graduated and we moved back to Ohio and then three months later we got married and um, then for about nine months Josh was working on the ordination process within our fellowship. So going, he had completed the, the proctorium or the seminary training and um, was done with that, had graduated, but um, our, our sending church really wanted him to go through the process of being ordained and so that's the whole process of studying and writing quite a long paper and several, um, well, you kind of know the process because you've gone through it. I do, but, but a long but examination. But you got to remember not everybody who's listening yes. knows the process. <laughs> a, so it, it's, a, it's arduous. Let's it just is. say that it's arduous <laughs> and difficult. Many, many hours of examination in front of a panel of pastors who I'm, I just would like to say I'm thankful that I don't have to go through that whole process. <laughs> but anyways, he, God was, was really good and he did a great job in working through that process and was ordained last December. So again, just about exactly a year ago, mm-hmm. beginning of December. And then this year, in 2019, we've really been focusing on support raising. So basically transitioned into a time of a lot of travel, being on the road. We've been in, is it 20? Just this year, it's been 23 states. Yeah. Prior to that, we could have pack on at least one more. Well, this year you've been in 23 states, plus you were back up in Canada. Again. That's true, yeah, yes, in another country. <laughs> international travel there as yeah. well. So just speaking in a lot of churches, sharing about the work we're going to do, and then lots of meetings outside of that time as well, just with individuals and families. Um, basically looking for uh, the people that God has called to be part of our support team. So wanting to see our support level raised so that we can so head off. About, let's talk about that for a little bit, a uh, few minutes here. What what does your support level look like or what does it need to be? So right now we are at about 78% of what our overall support level would be. Now that's in dollars and cents, that's 7,500 a month. Okay. That's your total 7,500 a 100% would be 7,500. Yeah. That'd be the total amount. And go ahead. And that's going to get broken up into several different 
different areas. There's going to be okay. a portion of that that would go towards just ministry expenses. And then there's going to be a portion that goes towards living expenses over there. When you're in a tribal setting, you can imagine everything just gets more expensive. Right. Because you're looking at everything getting flown in by helicopter or plane. And for a helicopter, per hour, it's 800 to $1,000 for just that flight. And so your expenses just can skyrocket very quickly in terms of what's needed to function over there. And that's part of the reason why these people still aren't reached, is it is hard to get mm -hmm. there. Right. You guys are going to probably one of the most difficult locations on the earth to try to reach these people. There's not too many more locations that are as challenging as Papua New Guinea. Yeah, yeah. Just... The environment definitely presents plenty of plenty of challenges in getting there and staying there. And mm -hmm. finances definitely play into that. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about, okay, so your $7,500 is your total monthly needs. Mm -hmm. That's 100%. So break that down for me a little bit of like, just tell me the categories of what that includes. So yeah. you're, so people know like what is going, uh, where, where does the money go? So first two I mentioned would be, you know, business expense type things, ministry okay. needs. So just and for, the, and Autumn can oh. flush that out for what that one looks like. Yeah. So just for example, if you think of, um, church, like church ministries here, so yep. you have kids ministry and you have outreach and you have songbooks and Bibles and just basically any any type of ministry that you have through a church. As we're going there to do any kind of ministry, there's not a church in this people group present who's going to be funding those things. So every bit of ministry um, efforts and outreach that we have is going to be coming from ours and our teammates' support that we're raising. So that's why over a third of the support that we raise will go towards those things. So right. when you're looking at and the that's Bible, just the, that's just the cost of doing business. Exactly. And if you go to yeah. any local church in America and you say, well, I need money for ink and paper and uh, whatever, it, songbooks, whatever, all those things you named, right. every church is going to have those expenses. So you're basically like a little church, quote unquote, a little yeah. church that has these expenses. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it. So and even I mean, we're really thankful now for how technology I mean, we're going to have a have a solar system over there so we can use computers and software to help us in the translation oh, yeah, process nice. and in um, as we're figuring out the language and developing a written language, all of that. But again, that takes money. And so those expenses will come out of that ministry expense area. So that, that kind of gives you an idea of of the types of things okay. that we'll be paying Great. for. And just to kind of throw on a little note on the whole technology side of things, when you're in a tropical environment with high humidity and heat, you can imagine that technology isn't going to last you as long. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it just it just seems to compound time and again, just the, the ministry expenses. Mm -hmm. So that would be the one aspect. Yeah. The next one would be just personal your personal expenses. living yeah. expenses. We need food. <laughs> you know, need toilet paper, those kind of things. Some people will ask Of course us. the woman mentions toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, they have leaves there, but you know, you'd rather not go that route. Well, some people ask us, will you just eat what the tribal people are going to eat? And to some degree, there will be times where we will. But the problem is they live day to day just trying to survive. They're subsistence farms. They're subsistence exactly. farms, exactly. And you so can't spend your time subsisting. If all we did was hunt and garden just to survive, we wouldn't be accomplishing the work we're there to do. Right. And most likely we would be less healthy because of it as well. And so in the goal, keeping that focus on what we're trying to accomplish, it's really not in the best interest of the goal to try to do it that way. And so we'll end up having our food flown into us, have our toilet paper flown into <laughs> us, 
and and any other needs you can imagine you would need here to be able to live, function, survive. Those would be things that we would have to have as well. We'll definitely try to uh, trim down those needs mm -hmm. as best we can. But when you're looking at a 15-year a period, you definitely want to don't just be having the mindset of just surviving for that long. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be in the best interest of the work. Well, here's an example of something else that we'll have that we'll have flown in. So we will have a stove that's most likely operated by propane. Now we'll also have the option sometimes of cooking outside like the people do. But um, that fuel is something that will be flown into us. Right. So because our solar system would not be nearly big enough to operate you know, to operate a and stove. So that's an example. You're not going to doing wood gathering day in and day out. That's exactly. going to be an hour or two process. Mm -hmm. Right. At least. And in a tropical climate, you have a drying period that's going to be a lot longer right. Right. to be able to accomplish that kind of thing. One thing to keep in mind is there are ways that we could uh, defer some of the cost, but you're going to have to replace that with time. Right. And so, for instance, when we're flying into a tribe, the average five minutes of flight time cuts off a day's worth of hiking to get there. So when you use that kind of a, a picture, you're realizing, oh, I can shave off six days of hiking one way. That's not with a load. That's just you hiking in open country, up and down mountains that could be cut off by a five-minute helicopter flight. But that helicopter flight is going to cost you something right? financially. And so we can definitely increase the speed of the work and get in the gospel message to them and the efficiency of it with those expenses. But it does have a price tag. Right. So you've got ministry expenses, personal living expenses, anything else that's coming out of your monthly budget there? Yeah. So the third category would, we like to describe it as the things that a lot of times an employer would cover. So right. taxes, um, insurance, savings, health care. Um, um, for us, being in the remote location we are, things like an emergency evacuation uh, plan that we'll be paying for so that if we had to you know, had to get out of there and have an emergency surgery, um, we don't have to be wondering if that's going to be covered or if we're going to have a $100,000 bill show up. So those types of things are going to come out of that third category. That will be, it's a little bit less than a third of the support we raise that would be represented in that category. So how much of, so you said you got 75 or 78%. Yeah. What percentage do you need to be able to actually leave and start the work? So we had talked through with our teammates and prayed about where our line would be. And we concluded that 75% was where we would go ahead and say, we're going to go. Okay. That will have an effect on different areas if we don't have the full amount. So your hiking skills are, you've been working on those, right? <laughs> that may be affected. But why we had to talk about it with our teammates, for example, is the fact that one tribe might be located a half hour by helicopter and another one maybe an hour in. Yeah, That's that going to affect our cost yeah. Yeah. drastically. And so our options of what tribe we can go to will be affected. And so we need to be okay as a team to say, yeah, we're okay with you coming at that percentage because it's going to affect all of us in terms of what tribe we go to. That's just one example of what that could look like. But when you have uh, a budget that is um, appropriate to your, your needs and one that you've gotten input from other um, churches and experienced missionaries and so on to say, yeah, this is what's the appropriate amount to be able to function pretty much any of those locations and so on. When you've, when you've done that and you have that, it really gives you the opportunity of 
doing it it's about as effective ministry as you can. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that's really the goal. The goal is not to um, have you guys go in there looking healthy and come out looking like sticks. <laughs> you know, the goal, the goal is so that you guys can go in there and be healthy and be um, mentally capable of focusing on the task at hand and not having an anxiety or a worry about, well, how am I going to get the food? Do I, do I need to work on Bible translation today or do I need to go try to gather some whatever it is I can gather mm-hmm. in this location that I'm in? Right. You know, and that's, um, that's what I think supporters need to understand about, well, how come you need $7,500 a month to live? My family budget's not $7,500 a month. <laughs> yeah, well, there's not. Ours a, isn't here either. There, <laughs> yeah, when you live in America, your, your income's yeah. not $7,500 a month either. But you can also go to Walmart within 10 minutes mm-hmm. and, you know, get any food that you want to for a very, very inexpensive cost in America. One additional little complication is I've, I've functioned in ministry for different, quite a few years now in different capacities, and I worked while I did it. Mm-hmm. In a tribe, I don't have that option. Right. You I don't. can't pick up a part-time job. Right. It's I'm there. That's what I got to work with, and that's all there is. And so it's it's really forcing us to our knees time and again, saying, Lord, we believe you're opening these doors. And if you're doing that, you're going to supply. And I'm going to the opposite side of the world with my wife and trusting that you're going to you're going to provide, even though I physically feel like there is no other way I can supply for my family um, other than you. And that's that's a good place to be. But it, it also can be a frightening one. <laughs> for sure. Well, what are some things that you would like? To share with those people who maybe your supporters or what are some questions that maybe you feel you wish that like they would ask you don't know um that they even know how to ask and that's the hard thing like I'm, i mean as a pastor i've sat in a lot of these meetings i've listened to this discussion i've known autumn for years and worked through the whole process mm-hmm. um i know your teammate craig noise really well um so i mean i have a good idea of all that's involved in this but, you know, the average family that you sit down with in a church, like, what do you want them to know about your support or what you're doing? Or, you know, what, what would you really like to communicate to them that maybe you feel they don't know how to ask? Well, this isn't, this is a little bit of a roundabout answer. But first of all, I just want, when I think of questions, I think it's always encouraging when people just ask questions, even if it's a question that we have been asked before. Okay. Good, um, good. It is, it's really encouraging when we send out updates and there are people who just respond and say, Hey, there was this little fact, clarify that for me. Or, Hey, I read this part and that was encouraging. What's next after this? Those, those little questions or when we have a Q and a at a church, having people who are interacting again, even if it's a question about animals in the country that we've answered tons of times, that lets us know that they're interested, that they're engaged. And so I think that is encouraging, um, certainly, because we talk about this all the time, and especially when we've had this year of support raising, like pretty much all we do is travel and talk about this. And sometimes we wonder, like, are people interested in what we're saying or are we just repeating ourselves too much? And so it's helpful when people ask questions. So that's that's not a direct answer, but just kind of addressing questions in general. Um, I, think, I think questions... Personal questions are always really meaningful. So as a more specific answer to to your question, um, things about questions like, how are you guys doing, um, you know, spiritually during this time of travel? How has that been being away from your church family? Um, How can we pray for you specifically right now? You know, how is God growing you? Those types of questions are really meaningful because we are sharing 
a lot of information-based questions, I guess. Sometimes um, sometimes a, it doesn't feel like there's as right. much of the personal side. And we do spend, we spend a lot of time away from kind of our circles of support, so to speak. So when, when people, when supporters or prayer supporters ask those kind of personal questions, um, that's really meaningful. And I know sometimes I, I hesitate as well because I think, oh, I don't want to put someone on the spot or in an awkward position, but it's meaningful when people ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. And in, in a, if you're a supporter, a way that you could say that, that probably wouldn't be too offensive, but would just lay, lay the door open so that you could answer it or not would be to say something to the effect of like, um, you know, you've been doing a lot of traveling recently. Um, I know that can be taxing on a person. Is there anything I can pray for you about right now yeah, in relation exactly. to that? You know, you can say, no, I'm doing fine. Or you could take that opportunity to open it up right. and share a lot more, depending on the situation or whatever. But that would be a way that if you, if, if you were a supporter, you could phrase a question so that it gets beyond just the numbers and the data. You know, we've looked at the numbers, we've looked at the data, but let's go beyond that. So that's a good, uh, good piece of advice there, Autumn. When I think about that, it, it's less about the specific question that they may ask, because they're asking that question to learn something. And it would be more of, at times, what I would like people to learn, or I should say remember, because they already know this, is we're human too. Right. We're people. Right. And it can be easy to start realizing that, oh, people are kind of lifting us up on a pedestal. They're setting us apart. Um, and, and we are doing different work. And, and the Lord has um, called us to this ministry. And I have um, become a pastor and so on, which does bring about different responsibilities. But we're still human beings with the same old struggles, the same old tendencies. And it just feels at times, um, at times like people kind of pull away a little bit and look at look at us as like, oh, they're they're separate. I I couldn't kind of like the way people talk about the Apostle Paul. Like, <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul, you know, like he's up there, you know, and he never he never had to deal with what we were dealing with down here, kind of a thing. Yeah, it and it's just it's it's really a good feeling to be able to relate to people. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to connect and talk through things and even just to realize, yeah, our circumstances may look very different, but the same struggles are one people struggle with here. And just being able to interact with people about it and to understand where that they're at and to be understood and those kinds of uh, elements that it's just, it's so refreshing <laughs> when it happens. And there are times where you feel as though you go months in this journey where you don't feel like you've gotten that. And then all of a sudden you hit a place where you feel like they just, people, they, they loved they, you. They love you. They, they view you as, as another, uh, you know, individual, another human being that's uh, a sinner that's saved by grace. And, <laughs> and you can just really connect with that. And it's just a tremendous blessing. It's very sweet. Yeah. I would imagine that, like, if I had to guess, probably one of the most common responses that you get after a presentation is, I'm so glad you're doing that. I could never do that. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And, and and the fact of the matter is like, okay, well, um, I could never be an accountant, but uh, aren't you glad that God gave us different gifts to be able to accomplish his work? Mm -hmm. And for somebody like me, as you've heard a little bit ago, I feel like I'm unable, uncapable, unqualified. But so when I hear somebody say that, I'm like, no, you can't. I can't either. But praise God, we, <laughs> right. he can. Right. 
And and I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> We're no different. If God wants you to do that, he will equip you. He calls those who he wants and he will equip them. He doesn't call the equipped all the time. <laughs> and and he gives a lot of joy in the journey. Like I think sometimes this is not said in a judging way because I've had those same thoughts. But sometimes if we when we think like, oh, I could never do what that person's going. At least in my mind, I know in the past, sometimes there was almost like a fear of like, oh, I couldn't do that. What if that's where he takes me? But while there are lots of things about Papua New Guinea and the remote location where we're going that are not exciting to me and that are not my forte, I'm would not, if I was just picking for me, I would not choose the roughing it, living out in the wilderness tribal location. Really? But, no, <laughs> shocker. But God gave me a husband who's really good in those situations. But still, God gives a lot of joy in the process of moving towards that. And so, I mean, when you look at, at you know, you can look at a, I look at a young mom here in the States who's getting four hours of sleep a night and juggling three young kids. And I'm thinking, I can't go with four hours of sleep. I would have broken down and lost my mind by now. But again, that's not the situation that God has me in right now. So I don't have to know how she does that. That's where God has her. That's what he's called her to. And this is where God has us. So um, God God gives joy as you're following his leading and his guidance, even if the situation, the circumstances might not seem humanly ideal. So. And, the, and that's where I think God's grace is magnified and his mercy is magnified because, you know, you talk about the young parent mom or dad who's only getting a few hours of sleep a night and they're juggling kids and other stuff. And you, you know, I remember before I had four little kids, I thought to myself, how in the world does anybody do this? But now I live that life. Okay. And I have strength. And what it's done is that it's made me go to my knees and say, okay, God, I have no idea how I'm going to have the strength to get through today. So you're just going to have to give it to me because I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. And he gives you the strength when you ask him and it, you know, whether you're going to Papua New Guinea or whether you're just managing things on the family uh, family farm, God gives a grace to deal with those circumstances. But what ultimately happens is he's requiring faithfulness from you, mm-hmm. and then he delivers. You know, And even when we're unfaithful, he still delivers. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. It it's mind-boggling. True. Well, those are some good thoughts to share with your supporters. I think people, in my experience, people sometimes don't even know what to ask or how to ask it or like they don't want to be a burden to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've had that happen before where um, people even in my church or in other churches are like, oh, I really like to talk with you, but I don't want to burden you. Like, no, that's what I'm here for. You know, like we can share burdens together. Like as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so I think that's a good reminder to your supporters, to people who you're encountering. Um, just share life together. Share how God's been blessing you share how God's been challenging you because that will lift you up as you hear the stories of God's grace played out in their life as well absolutely mm-hmm. yep definitely um what are the things that we could pray for the most I mean obviously finances is going to be pretty high on the list but beyond finances because I think that's kind of an obvious one what are the things that people could pray for the most uh, in terms of your transition from America to Papua New Guinea yeah, I'll start on this one if that's okay. So um, both Josh and I have traveled quite a bit, and we have cross-cultural experience. We've lived overseas. Um, that being said, we know that there's going to be 
a phase of culture shock and of dealing with just culture stress as we're moving to Papua New Guinea and adjusting. And there are a lot of just comforts that we um, have from being in a familiar place here in the U.S. that suddenly will be gone and things can, it can feel very shocking and difficult just doing everyday things when, when they're constantly a stress and you can't communicate with people. So I think that's definitely a big one just for um, us to have strength and to be patient in that process of adjusting and to continue to persevere in what we're supposed to do. But then also, I think one that kind of just fits right along with that one is the process of language learning. So the first language we're going to be learning when we go over is the national language. And then down the road, once we move into the tribe, we'll have a tribal language. But in both those instances, um, learning that language really helps to um, helps us kind of transition past the, I feel like, a foreigner stage to now I'm starting to feel at home because that's when you develop relationships. It's hard to feel that you know people or that they know you and to feel settled until you can communicate on a deeper level than what is this? That is a banana. Like, Donde that's... esta los servicios? Where is the bathroom? That's the only thing you need to know in Spanish. So, yeah. But and I'm it, saying that because you, you know, we, know, we both know Spanish, right? Well, <laughs> it helps you survive, but I don't know that I feel this deep heart connection with someone because I can ask them where the bathroom is, right? So anyway, so that's definitely that language learning um, for the sake of accomplishing the goal, but then also just for the sake of us transitioning and really really developing that sense of, okay, Papua New Guinea is home now, and that's important. What comes to mind initially for me is just that there will be um, maturing through trials. It's not a matter of if we're going to have them, it's when we're going to have them, and and Lord's going to use those to mold us and fashion us to finish the work he started in us, as Philippians 1.6 talks about. And part of me looks forward to that because of seeing how the Lord has is, is grown and developed my walk with him over the years. And I wouldn't want to go back to where it was before. And so I look forward to it in a sense at the same time, knowing it's going to be difficult and knowing each one of us is going to be going through very distinct challenges and and really wanting the Lord's will to be done in our hearts and lives and, and for those uh, things to deepen our walk with him. And so I deeply appreciate people praying to that end there's going to be phases that will be more challenging than others. Mm-hmm. Like God mentioned, initially in, in a tribe especially, mm-hmm. there's a period where we aren't around other missionaries other than our media team. We're not going to have other nationals from the country that we've learned the national language to communicate with yet. It's just the trial people. We can't really communicate with them yet. That'll be a hard one. Just the building phase will be difficult. Uh, not having a very comfortable place to, to rest at night, probably having a lot of rain all kinds of bug bites up to the wazoo, um, infections on our skin, different places, just because there's such high bacteria in the soil and and then needing to work. <laughs> and just those kinds of <coughs> high-intensity situations can just definitely wear on a person. And I could see myself um, responding incorrectly <laughs> or with the Lord's help responding correctly. And that's what I want people to really appreciate people praying for. Yeah, I really admire you guys because... I love living in the Northern Hemisphere, like in the north of the Northern Hemisphere, where there's not a lot of creepy, crawly, and bitey things. Because there's not a lot of things that uh, bother me, but uh, little biting things bother me a lot. Yep. <laughs> so I can relate. I really, I really admire you and uh, commend you, and we'll be praying for, um, uh, praying for you guys in that way. And hopefully, all those who listen to this will write those kinds of things down and 
pray for you as well. Um, before we go, uh, just tell people how they can support your ministry. Like, do you have a website, email address, Facebook? What's the best way to get in contact with you and to start supporting your ministry? Yeah, great question. So yes to all of the above. Great. Um, You're millennials. Have, yeah. <laughs> we don't have Twitter, but you know, that's kind of out now anyways, I think, or at least a little bit. So anyways, our uh, website or blog you can find, it's um, joshautumnmiller.blogspot.com. And then if you want to email us, it's joshandautumnmiller at gmail.com. And you can look us up both up on Facebook as well. So I'll make sure to put Autumn links Joy in the Miller. description. Oh, yeah, great. I'll put, I'll put links of that in the description of the uh, podcast. Yeah, we love it if people have Facebook and follow us because there's a lot of updates, just kind of the little everyday things that we can post on Facebook. And especially once we get over there, um, we can post some of those things as we have, you know, little bits of internet. And that will be easier than trying to do some of the long updates that may be a little bit further in between because we have to have better internet. So that's a great way to stay in touch with us. All right. So when you guys get overseas, Facebook is the best way to kind of keep track of how you guys are progressing in the mission. Yeah, exactly. And that, again, was? Oh, um, our Facebook? Well, you can look me up, Autumn Joy Miller. It'd just be autumn.joy.miller. And I think I'm the only one that has the middle name Joy, so it should be pretty easy to find. And then Joshua.Evan.Miller. And you okay. can find us through that. All right, great. Again, I'll try to post those links in the description. Um, when are you leaving? Tentatively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we are five, about five and a half weeks away from leaving. So we haven't booked tickets yet, but most likely within the next about week and a half, we'll be booking tickets. All right. So sometime in the teens of January is when we're expecting Middle of January. Yeah. Okay. Most likely. Yep. Lord willing. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy to be, we're almost at the one month point of being one month out. That's crazy. Wow. I'm going to miss you guys. We'll we'll (laughs) We'll miss miss you. We'll miss, yeah, just a lot of people here at at the chapel who've been a huge part of my life for a lot of years and um, miss, miss a lot of those people. But look forward to, Lord willing, getting to see them and maybe four years down the road, something like that. And okay, so furlough is going to be about four four years we until your first furlough. Around okay. there, so. All right. Yeah, so we'll have a lot to chat about at that point. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So you guys can come off and show off your um, your tans from living near the uh, you know equator. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just going to stay covered the whole time until I'm very pasty white. <laughs> Josh yes, I went tan. on a four-year mission journey. Look at my tan. <laughs> That's my report. <laughs> yep. Oh well, we're excited. Thank you guys so much for coming in and sitting down to do the podcast. Uh, this has been just a great conversation, and uh, we'll be praying for you. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just let us know, and we'll try to publicize it and get people praying. And like, if you let me know, I can let the listeners know. Um, as well as let our church family know. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Have fun.